Hello and welcome to this week's episode of I Was Going To Podcast. This week's guest is Donald Finlay QC, one of Scotland's most respected defence lawyers and also chairman of Cowdenbeath Football Club. Donald, welcome to the show. Good afternoon there, Donald. Thanks for joining us here on the afternoon. I, I Was Going To Podcast. The first question I would like to ask is how have you found this unusual time and what have you been doing to keep yourself busy, especially within the legal sector, because it's uh, been significantly uh, disrupted? Uh, I have hated every minute of it. Um, It's been very difficult uh, because the courts I work in have been closed down completely. So obviously I've tried to keep the legal side of life going as best as I can. Um, But early on, I set out all sorts of ambitions of things I was going to do, and I've realised none of them. (laughs) I think there's a few of us like that. (laughs) I I, I noticed last week, Donald, that they're starting to pilot um, putting the jurors in the the cinemas. Is that something that you support as a a way forward? Because we just don't know how long this is going to go on for. Um, yes, I do. It's it's not ideal. Of course it's not. Uh, but the, the justice system has to get moving again. And if we can use technology to get the system going, then I think we have to do the best that we can to make it succeed. After all, pre-COVID, the thought that I'd be having a conversation like this would just have been completely alien to me because I hate technology in any form. Absolutely. We, I think we've all got better at these things, or at least we've accepted them into our lives. Okay, can we... Can we accepted them, not go better. <laughs> yeah. um, can we park that for a minute then and move on? Because we're really interested to find out about you, Donald. Uh, can I take you back to your educational experience? You were born in Cowdbeath uh, and educated in Dundee. Can you just tell us a bit about your educational experience in Scotland? Um. Well, I, I started off in Cowdenbeath via Glen Rothes and other places, ended up in Dundee, uh, finishing school at uh, Harris Academy and then ultimately Dundee University. Um, and in those days, of course, uh, Scottish education was much envied because, of course, it was the great socialist education. Um, and then the socialists came along and killed it, oddly enough. Uh, People went to school not because of wealth or background or anything else, but simply because they were good enough to go through a certain course or be in a certain class. So background had nothing at all to do with it. Uh, And the Scottish education system was great then, and it's been a steady progression downhill ever since, in my humble opinion. I'm I'm, I'm curious about that. Uh, When do you think the decline started within the school educational system? With the advent of comprehensive education. Any any particular reason for that, Donald? Yes, because it it, it dragged things down to the lowest common denominator. And that that, that is never a good idea. Um, And it meant, I think, that more people look to send their children to private education than would have done in the past. And unfortunately, what you then did was take an awful lot of bright people out of the education system who could have contributed to a lot, contributed a lot to it, to their fellow pupils, and it would have been better all round. That's, a, that's very interesting, Donald, that you should say that, because uh, we uh, talk about uh, peer pressure and how important it is. 
and uh, that common adage of you're only as intelligent as the five people that are standing next to you, appropriate for what you're just discussing, that uh, if you sustained the more educated or the more academic or people with more academic abilities, it would have raised the, the abilities within a standard of uh, the school. That has, always, that has always been my belief. And, and uh, I could never understand why something which was fundamentally socialist was so hated by the Labour Party. When you were at school, did you know at that point what you wanted to do as a career? And did you get any career advice at school, Donald? Uh, I wanted to be filthy rich and no. <laughs> Have you realised that ambition then? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no, I, the, the, when I was at school, originally I um, was steered towards medicine. And it's a well-documented uh, story. Uh, a teacher appeared who was a science teacher who hated me as much as I hated him. Um, we just didn't get on for some reason. Killed my interest in science totally. Uh, and I reverted back to what was really always kind of my first love, and that was the classics uh, and uh, the law. I, I have no idea how many teachers there are of Latin and ancient Greek left in the Scottish education system. I would suspect not many. I managed to uh, be educated within Latin. Not that it uh, has done me any any great. I've, I've, I've not aspired to the likes of yourself, Donald. I, I think you will find that anybody who studied Latin has a far greater appreciation of the English language. We read that you were influenced to become a lawyer following the trial of Peter Manuel. Can you tell us a wee bit more about what sparked you then as a result of what you read there? Um, no idea. Um, in those days... Big trials where every single word was reported in the newspapers. Mm -hmm. And the manual trial was unique in its time. And every single word was reported. And I would have been, what, seven? Um, and I followed it every single day. Much to my father's shocking horror initially, but then gave up. It couldn't stop me. Uh, and a combination of that and a television program with uh, Michael Dennison as a, a lawyer called Boyd QC, it just caught my imagination. And from about seven or eight years old, I wanted to be a lawyer and a defence lawyer. And you combine that with the fact that I hate being told, well, I don't hate being told what to do. I won't do what I'm told to do, just as a matter of principle, I'll go and do the opposite. Um, I've always been thrown in that sense. So the having a go at the establishment always appealed to me. <laughs> And it's interesting that you said it was actually in the television part of that, but I, I read somewhere that you, you're not an advocate of televisions in the courtroom. Oh, no. I mean, the, the, the television in the courtroom doesn't work. Anything that's been done in the court, uh, which has been televised, other than perhaps somebody being sentenced uh, where a, a, a judge sits there as good as a crutch, passing sentence, it, it, it just... It's just not real because nobody's natural, no, nobody's relaxed. And I just don't think television and court works. So I'm curious, Donald, he said that as far back as the, the age of seven, you'd identified that you not only wanted to, to work in the legal profession, but you also uh, had aspirations to be a defence lawyer. Mm -hmm. Now, um, did you find that uh, your peer group and your mother and family and friends encouraged or discouraged you for wanting to aspire to that? Uh, I don't remember my peer group caring one way or another, um, quite honestly. Um, 
I certainly had no interest in what they were going to do. It was, you know, we, we all went in our own various ways. I don't mean that in a nasty way, but I have no ever recollection of ever sitting down discussing with people alternatives and why don't you do this or, or why don't you do that. Um, uh, my family uh, had no connection with the law and I think were a bit scared that I was going into the unknown and that it wouldn't work out. Whereas coming from, um, uh, I'll use a term that my father hated, and I also hated working class background. Um, a profession was something to aspire to. It was important to get into a profession if you could. And the profession to aspire to was being a doctor. Because in the community, the doctor was the person who commanded most respect. The, the local GP was a, a, someone who commanded great respect. So, so that would have been my family's choice for me. But thanks to a science teacher at House Academy, that, uh, that didn't work out. But they were concerned. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting because there's parallels there. I mean, I can rec recollect as far back as my primary school and uh, one of the girls in the class, and again, it was a, a working class school, primary school that I was in, and I remember her saying at that time she wanted to aspire to become a barrister. Mm. And looking around, everybody else just went, glazed we didn't have a clue at that age we thought what on earth's a barrister we thought that that was what you lent on when you were going up a stair did you make it a, yes Good for uh, I, I i can't honestly remember what my peer group to use the cant phrase would have been interested in the, the choices were much more limited back then of course than, than, than they are nowadays uh, and I think career advice consisted of about four brochures on a shelf in the library. That was about it. Yeah, a very similar parallel. Ours was uh, there's the the the, the governed shipyards, and you can become an engineer, yeah. and that was literally uh, the, 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 or become a policeman or something. Yeah, uh, it was that. That I think career advice was you know jobs that exist. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to your chosen profession, then Donald, you're widely expected as one of the best defence lawyers in Scotland. And we've talked about why you chose to become a defence lawyer, but you're quoted as saying you find some cases difficult sometimes due to how up close and personal your position takes you to man's inhumanity to man. Can you just tell us a wee bit more about how you came to this realisation? Um, it's not a realisation. There was no road to Damascus moment. Um, but when you have been involved in hundreds of murder trials, as I have, um, you're dealing with people at their lowest ebb who are charged with the most serious crime. Um, you have the family of a victim who has been killed, sometimes brutally, sometimes occasionally a body's not even been, been found. Um, you, you look at photographs which would horrify most people, but you have to look at them critically. Uh, from a technical point of view, what do they show, what, what, what do they not show? Um, uh, and sometimes you do just have a thought that hits you of, here's a young child lying murdered. That was a human being whose life was taken from them. Um, but then you have to seal yourself and go back to being what you were, and that's, that, that's the person who is defending the accused. I would imagine my colleagues who are surgeons must find the same thing, that where they're fighting to save somebody's life, and they fail. 
uh, it will have an impact on. And I know a number of people, for example, I mean A and E consultants. I mean these 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 people do incredible things when people are at their very much worst physical state, but they don't always succeed. And it's bound to have an impact on you from time to time. Yes, it does. It's not totally heartless. Can I just probe there just a wee bit, Donald? Have you found like how you've dealt with that has grown over the years? Or is that something that you just find you almost switch off a part of yourself? Um, I would say it's called professionalism. If this is the path that you choose, you have to be professional about it. I've never judged a single person I've represented. That's not my job. Um, the, the day I started doing that, I'll walk away. That's for others to determine. The, the part I play in the legal system uh, is to do what the law says everybody's entitled to have, and that is uh, uh, a fair defence of the allegations put to them. That's uh, very interesting, I've got to say. I, I, I'm listening intently with uh, regards to that. I'd, I, I um, had a, I was, my father, if you like, passed away. Uh, when I was 21, and I remember um, going in to see my father. My mother said, would you come in and just say cheerio to him with me? And I remember uh, vividly still to this day walking into that room or the, where he was lying in the bed, and it just wasn't him. The, the body that was there was entirely different, but it always struck me, um, and I still carry that image, Donald. And, and I, I, I've got to say, I don't know that I could do that, 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 that disassociation or the professionalism that you call it, that ability to be able just to turn off that, that you're doing a job, if you like, and this is a person. I, I, I think that that's remarkable that, that, that you do do that. Uh, uh, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, some people are, just might not be able to do it, but... The cardiothoracic surgeon performs surgery on the patient who's on the table. Doesn't change his attitude if that person is a convicted child murderer or is a candidate for sainthood. It matters not. They will, they will do their job and try and save that life using their skills to the best of their ability. Yeah. Other, other people might say, well, it wasn't a life worth saving. I've never known a doctor to say that. I've never, ever known a doctor to say, well, I saved a chap's life today and doesn't much of a life. That's, that's not their decision. You, you do what you said and you promised to do and you do it to the best of your ability. The other aspect that we're interested in, Donald, is that uh, we've read that you've said your work within being a defence lawyer has taken its toll and you describe it as being distressing just how much that uh, your work's become your life. Can you tell us just a wee bit more about why you felt like that? Um, I've spent 45 years working seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, basically. <laughs> um, there are very few days I don't work in one form or another, and that's wrong. And the job becomes your life, and your life becomes a job. Um, I always try to warn young lawyers not to get sucked into that, not just young lawyers, but young anythings you need to uh, you need to have other interests in your life family friends hobbies whatever uh, i've never had a hobby in my life for example uh, i think you need more to your life than just your job i wrote a career lifestyle management program about 20 years ago in Callan rye i've been adapting that for just discussing how important it is to have a balance within your life to, to ensure that you don't 
uh, just focus too intently on it. But on the opposite hand, you must have had a real passion for for the job that you've done to immerse yourself just as fully as you did. Um, it's probably more of an obsession than a passion. Why would you call it an obsession? Um, because the, the, the job is constantly with me. Um, I can look to my right-hand side and see about 40 cases sitting there waiting to be, to be dealt with. Um, in one way or another, everything that I do and everything I've done for the past 45 years and more um, has been connected to, related to, or involved with the job. Some people can can have a hobby and, and go and, and step out of it, and, and you know that, that's what they do. I just I've never been able really to do that. And is that because you were so driven to become the best that you possibly could within you? No, I was I, 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 I was I was driven to do my best, not become the best or second best or whatever. That was. Every single thing that has ever happened to me in my life, whether it is good or ill, has happened. I've never had a plan in my entire life. Never. Um, every now and again, I have sat down and had a five-year plan and around about year two and a half of planning it on board and it gets spinned anyway. So I've, I've never had a plan. Um, I've just gone through life doing what I do. But I've always believed that you... Whatever you do, you give it 100% or you don't do it at all. Would that carry on to your your, your professional life then? Would, would, this might sound like a naive question, but would you have a plan of a, for how you evolve a defence in a case? Or is it that you wouldn't have a plan, You would every day takes its own path? I don't believe in having strategies. Um, because if the plan goes awry, then you've got a problem. So uh, I, I really do approach each bit of each day fresh. So a witness comes in, it's a new witness, new challenges. Um, and I've been really, I, 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 a hell of a long time. You know, I know when to stop, when to back off. Um, yeah. But no, I, I, I don't. I don't have a game plan when it comes to a case. I know what the issues are. I know what I need to do. Um, but if somebody said, what are you going to do with this witness today? My response would be, listen. And once, I've heard what they, once I've heard what they say, then we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah. So when you, when you reflect... I think people would do a lot better if they just listened a little more and spoke a little less. So when you reflect back on your career then, you must have some cases that stood out more than others, things that you could look back and say, I really done my job. I was proud of what I achieved in that case. Could you just give us some indication of some of the ones that stand out for you personally? Um, that, that's, that's, that's running a number of things together. Um, I don't like the use of the word proud. Um, I would like to think that in every case I've done, I have done the best and I've given it my best shot. I'm sure there are clients who would think I was pretty crap and didn't really do much for them uh, as they're taken away to prison. You know, that comes out of the territory. Yeah. Um, but what, what I do is it's not so much being proud. I, I don't care for people being proud of things. I think if, if you take satisfaction in the knowledge that you have done your best, don't call that pride because that's not pride. 
that that's something that is much less shallow than pride. That's that's something of value, um, and that I think for any young person setting off like he's a boring old fart bit coming in. Um, if you can honestly say that you did your best, then I think you've achieved something. Okay. Let other people be proud of you if you if they wish, but I, I don't care for pride. Never have. And before we move away from the, the legal aspect of your career, uh, Donald, if you knew now, or if you knew back in the, the classroom when you were seven, what you know now about the career path that you took, would you take it again? No, I'd go away to the Caribbean and become a, <laughs> the owner of a beach bar. <laughs> Don't be daft. Of course I would. Sun, <laughs> sun, every time. Get away from the pissing rain that we have every day in life here in Scotland. You know? um, but the reality is, yeah, of course I would have done it again. And probably would have made the same mistakes all over again. I've never been one to learn from my mistakes. As people will queue up to tell you. You were supposed to say no, no at that point. <laughs> <in time. laughs> Absolutely. Apologies. Uh, retrospectively, no, no, Donald. Better, better. <laughs> Lacking sincerity, but better. <laughs> I, I, I was uh, trying to take you on just uh, coherently with uh, regards to your passion for football. Um, and you've obviously held positions as uh, vice chairman at Rangers and you're currently the chairman at Cowdenbeath. Mm. And I was just uh, interested as to what your attraction was to football, whether you were a, a budding footballer when you were back in primary school or whether there was other angles that, 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 that took you into football. Um, well, certainly uh, I, I could have been a, a professional football player. There's no, no doubt about that, apart from a complete lack of ability. <laughs> um, I, I'm involved in the game because I love, I love the game. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a great lover of sport. People say, oh, I love sport. I don't say you can say I love sport. I like team games. I like the concept of, I can't be bothered with individual things that like, people are hitting a ball back and forward across a net for hours and hours on end. Um, that's not my thing. Uh, but I do like team games and, and what being involved in a team brings to people. Um, and I'm still involved in 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 the game because I'm daft um, and for no other reason would I be involved in football. Um, you know, it was um, Lord Sugar uh, who was once asked, I'm sure you're aware that somebody said to him, um, how do you get a small fortune? And he said, you start with a big one and then you buy a football team. <laughs> um, and that was about right. Uh, but I, I quietly, um, try to give young men the opportunity to do something I was not good enough to do, and that is play football in the team. And I think you'll get so much out of that at our level um, as you go through life. It is something that will stick with you, being, being part of a team and having teammates and working together to achieve something. And the ability to sit on a Saturday and hate all referees. <laughs> Some more than others, some more than others. Uh, uh, just, just a quick one on that. You'll have seen uh, a significant uh, number of teams throughout your years, and I was just wondering if you think the standard of football over the years has improved or not within Scotland? 
Oh no, it, it's 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 deteriorated I mean, rapidly, uh, unfortunately. Um, I, I don't know why. I don't think anybody knows why. But I, I I can remember a time when the big debate used to be whether the Anglo Scots should be picked to play for the Scottish national side. Yeah. The Dennis Laws and and so on because they'd gone off to England uh, and turned their back on Scotland and a lot of people thought we should just play the, the home base players who were as good and would have put a, a terrific team yeah. um, and some fantastic Scottish players uh, over many, many years for, for different clubs. Uh, I kind of lost interest in a feeling in international football a long, long yeah. time ago. I could name you two or three internationals now. No, I agree. I, I, I just think it's a pity that an awful lot of foreign imports of very mediocre players blocked off the chance that young guys here had to come through. And if you think there was a time when the top clubs in England all had a number of Scotsmen playing for them, uh, where are they now? Yeah, yeah absolutely. A great shame. Yeah. But then there's so many other things that attract young people nowadays that it, it may just be that that's the way it is. So you, you've written a novel, uh, The Three Verdicts. What, what inspired mm. you to get the pen out? Just something I always wanted to do. Simple as that. Just wanted to see if I could. Didn't ever expect it to be published, but it was. And, and did it have any appeal uh, after you'd written one? Did you want to try to develop that skill? As you, you said about having a hobby or not having a hobby, uh, did you envisage that as being a potential hobby for you, Donald? Oh, there's 23 sequels sitting on shelves here somewhere. Uh, none of which are anywhere even vaguely near completion. Uh, probably never will be completed, but uh, never quite got around to it is the excuse. Another question that we ask all our guests also, Donald, is uh, when you've achieved so much in your life, whereabouts do you think your motivations emanated from? Probably my background. Um, it was very close, very small family. Um, we had we no money. Um, and everything that we had, my father worked for, earned, saved, and, and, and so on. Uh, and I think I, I learned there that, that uh, hard work was the thing that brought the greatest reward. Uh, and I've always had that uh, ethic and uh, belief in hard work. That you, only, uh, you only get in this life what you put into it. That's interesting. I've just, uh, last week we uh, interviewed uh, Kenny Logan, the Scottish rugby player. Oh, yeah. And that's exactly what uh, he said was uh, the harder you work, the luckier you become. He lived by that. He just said that he had to work very hard to be able to achieve all the success that he managed to, 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 to achieve. Well, I think that's reasonable. I think you, you, you can see that in, in sport where people of fairly average ability but with a terrific work ethic can achieve a great deal in sport. And if, you can, if, it, if it applies to sport, it can apply to uh, any, uh, uh, any walk of life. And I do get saddened nowadays when you hear people, young people, um, speaking in a way that is, is very critical of what others have achieved. Uh, you know, the sort of, uh, who do you think he is with that fancy car view of life, as opposed to saying, one day I'll have a bigger one and a better one and a faster one than that. Well, we've, that, that was always my attitude. Yeah, we've quoted that exact line on in, in many occasions in the podcast. 
Well, you probably nicked it from something I wrote years ago. <laughs> Absolutely, there's nothing fresh <laughs> on here, I can assure you. We, we talked earlier on there, Donald, that you'd actually written your own uh, book, but have you been inspired by any other motivational books? Uh, no. Simple <laughs> 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 answer. Like I've, even never re- I've, never, I've, never, I've never read what one would term as a motivational What is a motivational book? Well, have you read any books that have given you motivation then? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) On on that tact, Donald, I'll I'll use uh, some people do find one particular book motivational. Uh, but uh, I've, we've read that you're an atheist. Yes. And I was just wondering if, if uh, on a serious note, whether being an atheist, if you had any other spiritual belief. I'm not quite sure what you mean by other spiritual beliefs. I don't have spiritual beliefs okay. of any kind. Right, okay. Um, um, not, uh, it's not a case of that I, I, I don't think God exists. I know it doesn't. Uh, it's just nonsense. Uh, I have no difficulty in, in just dismissing it out of hand and, and have done so from a very, very young age. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. Um, and I mean, religion is some matter of belief. Now, if you believe, you believe, and no argument will persuade you to the contrary. But if you don't believe, no argument will persuade me to, to, to believe. Um, what I do think is that people live on, but they live on in the memory of others and the things that they leave behind. Um, sometimes in slightly corny ways, I suppose. I remember years ago being in, in Cairo, um, going to the Sound and Light show at the Pyramids, where they had the voice of the pharaohs coming out of the pyramids. And I thought, you know, that is not bad to be talking about men who lived thousands of years ago. And today we are sitting talking okay. about them and their story. What is that if it's not immortality? So uh, I, I believe that we live on, but in the way I've described not floating around in some ether somewhere. So, so, um, so you and apart from anything that. else, to be quite serious, the, the thought of meeting uh, in the next life people who I couldn't stand in this one just appalls me. So, so you totally don't believe in reincarnation then? I do hope not. I'll be awfully, awfully angry if I'm proved wrong. Can I just I don't know, I don't think I've ever been in a courtroom. The, the, the people still... So you say, but we've only got your word for that, however. <laughs> I'm sure people will come on and comment in the podcast. The people, when they're, they're, they're um, getting sworn in, do, do they sw- you know, swear on a Bible? Do they swear to God? No. They don't anymore? You, 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 can, no, well, you, no, no, you, you can either take the oath which is, you swear by Almighty God that the evidence I will give you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, or a, a slight variation of that. Or you can affirm, which is, you say, I solemnly, sincerely, and truly declare and affirm that the evidence will give. Uh, uh, either way, the penalties are the same if you, you, you lie in court, whether you affirm or, or take the oath. Uh, I have always thought we should do away with the oath, yeah. and it should be a, an affirmation simply because I don't believe in God and, quite frankly, nor do half the people who take the oath, I rather suspect. 
I just that that was my point. You know, it's obviously a fundamental part of the profession that you're in. You know, and to have that point of view is that is that um, do you think shared by a lot of your colleagues? Or there's is there still a lot of people would would you know would would prefer the the oath that they swear to God? I I would think that uh, my colleagues who are uh, religious and, and, and who believe in God and so on would probably favour many of them an affirmation rather than the use of a promise to God simply because an awful lot of people just don't mean it. I mean, I have, for example, asked witnesses, do you believe in God? And they said no. And I said, well, why did you take those? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was the point in that? When were you last in church? No, never. Um, I, I, I just don't think that it, it's right. It should just be, I've always thought it should just be a straightforward affirmation, a declaration that you will tell the truth. Um, when I started off, the oath, the oath was in a very different form. It was, um, I swear by Almighty God, and as I shall answer to God at the great day of judgment, that the evidence that used to terrify people, which was entirely laudable, of course. But, um, and especially when it was one of the, the old-style judges who would give it with this great prophet of doom voice. You know? But then they modernized the oath like they do everything else. We got rid of the great day of judgment. <laughs> Talking about the great day of judgment, uh, Donald, you're a very busy man. And we just wondered whether you had any uh, daily routine that you might take to ensure that you manage your health. Mm, no. <laughs> what about your... You ask a question, you get an answer. <laughs> <laughs> sure, uh, does that. What about... Uh, no, no. I, I, I have been very lucky, and apart from one or two very minor things. I've really never had a day's illness in my life. Um, in 45 years, I have missed one day at work, mm-hmm. and that was when an Italian restaurant in Aberdeen tried to kill me. <laughs> so you, you, you've, you've obviously been very, very dedicated. That is clearly coming through. Has there been people that have inspired you to get that dedication? Do you look at people in front of you in the judicial system that you go, yep, if I can do as well as that, I'm doing okay. Um, there have been people in the judicial system that I have respected greatly, but I, I've never viewed them in the way you suggest. That, that's just just what, one of these one of these things. Um, there was a, there was a not quite a well known judge, and uh, one of my colleagues once said of himself, he said, "If I'm half as good as he thinks he is, I'll be doing pretty well." Um, so there's always a danger in these things. The person who inspired me most was my father, without a doubt. Um, he was one of the cleverest men I ever met, and life just did not work for him. Can but he was why? the person who inspired me. Can I ask why life didn't work for him? Oh, long, long story, but when he was young, his family wanted him to stay in at school and try to get to university, which would have been quite something coming from Cowden Beast back then, but no, no, he wanted to get involved with cars. So he left school to get involved with cars, and then uh, every job he took just didn't work out one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, he worked at Seafield Colliery, for example. When, they were, uh, when the cementation company was sinking the shaft at Seafield, long before any coal came out. 
and Rothes Colliery closed because they couldn't get the coal out of Rothes, and the rumour was that they would close uh, Seafield Colliery. So he left that job, and of course Seafield produced coal for another 40 years or whatever it was. So that kind of thing happened to him. But incredibly clever man, very much of that time, uh, and that was the working man who was hugely well-read. I mean, he read stuff that even today... Um, I would give up after 20 pages. You know, it's a very esoteric, thought-provoking stuff. He probably would have read a book that was motivational. He could, he could probably have told you about a motivational book, whereas I haven't got a clue what you mean by a motivational book. <laughs> Although I, I have read, I have read both the Quran and the Bible, and I, just, I wonder how many people who do have religion can say that. Yeah. Yeah. Donald, I'm, I'm going to take you back just one moment with one final question. Um, on the education system, if you don't mind uh, mm. asking something that's not on the questions that we do. And I'm curious, um, we should have asked the question that, that you obviously think that the, the system has deteriorated. Uh, is there something that you would do if you had the opportunity to the education system to try to improve it? Uh, I am uh, an old style Tory. Um, my party was the party of Rab Butler, Ian McLeod, Harold Macmillan. Um, I, I believe passionately that everybody uh, should be given the chance to achieve the best that they can in life, whatever path path they take. Um, and I would take an education system back where everybody was supported, uh, but the best and the brightest got the support they needed uh, and those who weren't among the best and the brightest got the support that they also needed, uh, but that you recognised people had different talents, different abilities, and what you had to do was to individualise it as much as you could and make sure that child had the best opportunity to develop and not just be part of a, um, a system. And that was what the school I went to did it gave you the opportunity. I mean, at Harris Academy, for example, you could study Japanese. Study Japanese in the 1960s. Yeah. Latin, Greek, French, German, uh, Russian, Italian, Spanish, all of these things. Way, way ahead of its time. Yeah. Um, and a class for Russian might only have three or four kids in it, but it was there and it was provided. That, that was going to be my question. What was the average uh, classroom size, the number of pupils? If everybody was in the same class, um, I don't know, I suppose it was 30. Okay. They were not small classes, but when you went to the specialist subjects that were provided, class sizes, uh, I mean, the, the, the class for Greek, I think, consisted of two people. Donald, the last uh, couple of questions that we've got are, are, are really uh, one of the same, and we've, we've asked all our guests the same question. And we'd like to ask, uh, the, the, the final question is, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given, and what piece of advice would you give to our next generation? Um, the best piece of advice I was ever given was never explain, never complain, and never apologise. The advice I would give to the next generation is don't get mad, get even. <laughs> Donald, all I, all I can say is thanks very much for joining us here on I Was Going To Podcast. Thanks very much again from both of us. Thanks. <laughs>